0: Get myself together. Let me read an excerpt from a prayer to you. It goes like this. Please grant me enough wisdom and courage to be free from delusion. If I am supposed to be sick, let me get sick and I'll be happy. May this sickness purify my negative actions and the sickness of all other beings. If I'm supposed to be healed, let let all my sickness and confusion be healed, and I'll be happy. May all beings be healed and filled with happiness. If I am supposed to die... Let me die, and I'll be happy. May all the delusion and the causes of suffering of others die. This prayer is a frank acceptance of our human limits. It is no miraculous plea for changing the course of events. It does not expect an all-knowing God to intervene, It speaks a truth we may not wish to hear at the time. If I am to be sick, let me be sick. But as our evolving Unitarian Universalist tradition teaches, there is true comfort and vital freedom in being real. The transcendentalist thought woven into our religion guides us to our personal experiences and sensations. While the humanist strain demands that we heed reason avoiding idolatry. The prayer names unvarnished reality. This powerful prayer accomplishes two other things. It connects our immediate condition be it health or sickness or death or life to all others who are in the same boat. It sends out an intention to all others who might need the same affirmation or the same blessing. Perhaps the most powerful effect of this prayer is its reminder that no matter our situation, close to death, or delirious with fever happiness exists in that moment because we have accepted reality our true misery comes when we wish life to be other than what it is deep down in our bones acceptance is where happiness resides The prayer comes from the Buddhist tradition. One common name for it is using wisdom and courage. I've taken to saying some version of this regularly, especially when I'm afraid. For example, just as that airplane is taxiing down the runway and its aging bolts and plates are starting to shake and rattle while the jet gathers speed then miraculously manages to lift off the tarmac with the engines running at full throttle to swoop up into an unnatural angle into the sky, I can relax my superwoman grip on the armrest by saying, if I am supposed to die, let me die. And I have to cough. (coughs) If I am supposed to die, let me die. In that moment, I'm not fighting to try and control the plane. It may sound like I'm merely imagining the worst. Instead, I'm accepting my fear, not wishing it to go away. I'm admitting I cannot change the course of the flight's success or trajectory. Most importantly... I am not resigning myself to passivity. The prayer does not submissively call for some kind of miracle. Instead, saying the prayer helps me be alert to take any clear-headed, helpful action should the takeoff fail. I'm wishing the best for others on the plane. I'm not drowning in fear or trapped in distracting, compulsive worry. The prayer is actually a way to experience the overused but wise suggestion to live today as if it were your last. If my life is to be cut short, let it be cut short and I'll be happy. May I and all others be free from attachment and aversion. As we talk about prayer today and look at it from many angles during the month, I want to build the case that prayer is a powerful tool. No matter your theological stance, it's worth reconsidering what prayer is, what prayer can do. It is also important to explore what prayer cannot do. Prayer, at its very best, is truth-telling, when it serves as a reliable witness to reality. Often prayer relies on poetic and symbolic language to express all the rich dimensions of our life in that moment. Many of our most intense and personal experiences are beyond the reach of prose. They wither with daily language. I ask you to set aside assumptions and limitations some may bring to the word prayer. Fears and past orthodox abuse may keep people away from today's service. They are responding to a notion of prayer brutally twisted and warped by popular culture and religious institutions. We are not discussing a magical incantation to a deity We are not going to concern ourselves with a prayer as a conversation or letter. Dear God, O Lord, ground of being, spirit of life. A prayer addressed to someone or something is common in many religious traditions and what many of us grew up learning as children and even as adults. They may be valid, but today we are not discussing praying to or for anything. Instead, prayer can stand on its own. It can be more like a reflexive shout, laugh, (gasps) gasp, wail, or sorry. An authentic expression of our reality and an authentic intention born out of that moment. No doubt, everyone has been in a situation where you are simply speechless. For example, intense grief can instantly rob us of all our words, even our strength to stand. Grief tightens our throat and chest, makes us oversensitive to noise, renders us breathless, weak, and without energy. Cognitively, we experience disbelief, denial, and difficulty organizing our thoughts. Yet the grieving process is essential because it is a pro survival mechanism geared toward restoring lost bonds. Grief is best not ignored, but felt, acknowledged. And viewed as very normal, despite how uncomfortable and awful it feels. In the midst of this pain, numbness, anger, shock, loneliness, prayer can become an anchor, like a stabilizing hub, helping integrate grief's unwelcome spokes of sensations. Prayer can travel the topography of pain serving as the roadmap made by all who've gone before you. You can adapt the Buddhists using wisdom and courage for grief. If I am supposed to, to grieve, let me grieve and I'll be happy. May this grief be Magnify connections to beings and the grief of all beings. Or you can seek out a prayer from the rich tradition of laments. Whispered, sung, painted, photographed, danced. A lament is a poetic form of prayer giving a passionate expression to sorrow. Thanks to those who have suffered deeply before us, their collected prayers are rich poetries of loss. It's useful to have access to a few short prayers to gently carry us through difficult times. One great source of the poetry of pain are the laments in the Hebrew Bible's book of Psalms. Many of those are joyous, but the laments make up the largest number of the songs. And their phrases collapse all time to capture the universality of grief and sorrow. For example, these lines come from Psalm 6. The prayer for recovery from grave illness. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eyes waste away because of grief. They grow weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Do these lines begin to capture an experience you've had in the face of a serious health problem, a chronic condition, or incurable disease? These laments remind us we are not the first nor the last to suffer so terribly. How often have you personalized a problem by telling it to go away? Depart from me All you workers of evil. When I have a cold or the flu and my sinuses throb, I curse the viruses, those workers of evil. The Mucinex commercials, they've nailed it. Those evil workers are partying away in my sinuses. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Of course, Prayers that are witness to pain and suffering are not exclusive to ancient Israel. Laments are part of many ancient texts, Hindu, Sanskrit, Vedas, the classical Greek Iliad and Odyssey. The medieval classic Beowulf. And beautiful ones are still being written today as someone somewhere tries to put into words their searing hurt. You've heard me read from the poems and prayers of John O'Donohue. I admire his ability to capture the tangle of feelings, hopes, and images in the most human of situations. He has one beautiful prayer that specifically addresses grief. Again, see if it rings true to your own experience of loss and death. When you lose someone you love, your life becomes strange. The ground beneath you becomes fragile. Your thoughts make your eyes unsure, and some dead echo drags your voice down where words have no confidence. Your heart has grown heavy with loss. And though this loss has wounded others too, no one knows what has been taken from you. Flickers of guilt kindle regret for all that was left unsaid or undone. There are days when you wake up happy, again inside the fullness of of life, until the moment breaks and you are thrown back onto the black tide of loss. Days when you have your heart back, you are able to function well, until in the middle of work or encounter suddenly with no warning, you are ambushed by grief. It becomes hard to trust yourself. All you can depend on now is what sorrow will remain faithful to itself. More than you, more than you, it knows its way and will find the right time to pull and pull the rope of grief until that coiled hill of tears has reduced to its last drop. Gradually, you will learn acquaintance with the invisible form of your departed. And when the work of grief is done, the wound of loss will heal, and you will have learned to wean your eyes from that gap in the air and be able to enter the hearth in your soul where your loved one has awaited your return all the time. Up to this point, we've looked at prayer as primarily a personal activity, a personal expression. It is more. Communal prayer gathers a community and it magnifies the universality of our human condition. A lament said together makes immediate connections to a wider community, to all who have felt similar anguish or experienced comparable loss. All Jewish prayer services contain contain the Kaddish, a prayer of mourning. This daily public routine of prayer gives a ritual voice to grief's longevity. Longevity. In its, reputi- in its repetition, the prayer marks and encourages grief's evolution and softening, connecting the individual sorrows into an ongoing statement of the human condition. And prayer is not simply a tool of comfort, wrapping yourself in soothing familiar words. A prayer can be a call for justice a strengthening of resistance, a communal act of defiance. I've been reading about the structure and forms of laments by African women sold into slavery here in the United States. As we know, they suffered much of the worst treatment humans can dole out to other humans. They were sold, overworked, deemed demeaned, beaten, whipped, raped, and often bore children taken away and sold They had no control over their present or their future. So Dr. Wilma Bailey, a scholar of both biblical laments and the African-American slave experience, writes, the lament traditions of these women provided a coping mechanism, a way of acknowledging that they had suffered a great deal, an expression of hope that their lives would change. Doing that, missing a page. So it acknowledges they suffered a great deal, an expression of hope, and even at times a plan for liberation. Most laments in the South took the form of spirituals, but rarely did they specify the type of suffering or injuries experienced the lament language is generalized to disguise details to our modern ears many of the lyrics sound fundamentalist and often obsessed with the afterlife nobody knows the trouble I've had got hard trial one song's repeating refrain goes got hard trial in my way heaven shall be my home got hard trial in my way heaven shall it be my home. Bailey and other scholars caution us from rushing to judgment. Instead, they explain many references to heaven are symbolic and even instructional at times, pointing to freedom and escape. When we nitpick about the theology within a prayer or even use the word prayer, we are trivializing the power of, of this poetic form to heal, comfort, and transform a whole community. These other uses of prayer are exactly why we are exploring prayer this month, to expand our understanding beyond limited personal experiences and our fears. Prayer is truth-telling. Of course, not all truths are sad, Not all prayers are laments. Many are joyous, ecstatic celebrations. The mystic Sufi writes from his soul, the garden of the world has no limits except in your mind. Its presence is more beautiful than the stars, with more clarity than the polished mirror of your heart. Rabbi Mark Gelman was quoted a few years back in a great New York Times article about prayer. He said, really, when you come right down to it, there are only four basic prayers. Give me, thanks, oops, and wow. Surprised, the reporter asked, that's it? Wow our prayers of praise and wonder at the creation. Oops is asking for forgiveness. Gimme is a request or a petition. Thanks is expressing gratitude. That's the entire Judeo-Christian doxology. That's what we teach our kids in religious school. End of quote. So I encourage everyone to loosen your theological stranglehold. So heartfelt, so heartfelt, impromptu expressions of life, of gimme and thanks and oops and wow, and I'd include help, can come more easily. They are legitimate sources of truth-telling. They bring us more in line with reality, naming it so we can most clearly see our own deepest fears and desires. Let me say there's nothing wrong with imagining a change of circumstance or fortune for someone, even yourself. Praying or wishing a tumor will shrink or a job will come open is a fully human enterprise. Wanting others to have less pain or more joy is a good thing. Offering gratitude for an exquisite sunset is real. The theological problem is expecting forces in the world to heed your request. This thinking is a misplacement of power and misunderstanding of our limitations. It's a corruption of reality. It is idolatry. It is not reasonable. It is not a use of wisdom or courage but prayers that struggle to put into words what is real when said aloud or thought silently can powerfully shift our understanding and acceptance of all that life brings as i said Earlier, it's very helpful to have a few stock prayers and phrases. These gifts from others help capture what we are experiencing when words do indeed fail. You can always use our gray hymnal. Where is that gray hymnal? Singing the the living tradition. It has prayers from a multitude of traditions, and in the back, starting with reading 493, is a specific collection of prayers for theists as well as atheists. So I'll end with a prayer that inspires me. It's 502 if you are inclined to follow along. You can even join me if you wish. The prayer is by... W.E.B. Du Bois. Now is the accepted time, not tomorrow, not some more convenient season. It is today that our best work can be done and not some future day or future year. It is today that we fit ourselves for the greater usefulness of tomorrow. Today is the seed time. Now are the hours of work, and tomorrow comes the harvest and the playtime. May it be so.